Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also want to encourage you, if you live in the area, go to brave.church slash homechurch and check out our home churches that are gathering together around these teachings throughout the week. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. I want to talk to you today on, on the topic of boiling down your life to a few things that allow you the privilege of understanding what God requires of you. So the title of the message is Primary Deeds. Primary Deeds. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Now, you also have some notes, I believe, that have been handed out to you. They give you an idea about where I'm going in my sermon. If you have not received one of those copies, the ushers are coming down, and they can deliver one to you if you'd like. Title of the message again is Primary Deeds. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Lord, help us as we study. Micah lived in a generation that was fairly compliant with respect to outward religious activity. There was very little idolatry in the nation. Um, and he was a prophet both to Judah, which was the southern kingdom, and had some influence to Israel, which was the northern kingdom. Now, at this time in Israel's history, there were two separate kingdoms, separate monarchies, separate nations, but one people. And so prophets would kind of cross-pollinate. And Micah primarily was to the people of Judah. He spanned four kings, Jotham, Ahaz, Uzziah, and Hezekiah. He served someplace around the middle 8th century B.C. all the way down to the late 7th century or early 7th century B.C. An amazing man of integrity. We don't know a whole lot about him because his book is very small. Uh, He didn't write a whole lot. He's not like Isaiah, though Isaiah was one of his contemporaries. And Isaiah wrote a lot. We got 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. What a man. But these two, we think, would kind of correspond with one another and and build off one another's sense about what God was saying to the nation. And both of them lived during a time when idolatry was at a minimum, yet Sunday morning worship, their version, Saturday, or whenever they sacrificed, was at a high. But something was wrong with their midweek compliance. Though they worshiped and looked really pretty at their worship service, What they were doing on Tuesday with their families or how they treated their employees was lacking sorely. So bad was it that Isaiah says in chapter 1 to start his ministry, again, during the same time period as Micah, he says this, Stop bringing me your sacrifices, says the Lord. I don't require your bulls and goats anymore. I'm not interested. Why? Because when you bring them... It doesn't mean anything in that you treat your employees midweek horribly. You drive them hard and don't give them what they deserve with respect to their labor. You're adulterous to your wives. You don't treat your neighbor well. When you see the naked, you don't clothe them. When you see the hungry, you don't feed them. I don't want your sacrifices because you're using your sacrifice as a substitute for your obedience. I won't have it. This is what God felt about this generation of people who were called to serve him. 
And so the people were saying, well, what is it we are to do? I mean, how, how do we do this well? There are so many commandments, we don't know which ones to obey. And there were 612. Now, of those 612, were the 10. It was really important things, like on a tablet, God inscribed, and then Moses had to re-inscribe them, and came from heaven. And those 10 commandments are amazing. None like them. And, and, and they, they work in any place, for any people, at any time. They are stunning. I love them. But then you added the other ones, which were case law or ceremonial law. So the Ten Commandments were the Decalogue by which all the other commands were, were established. And, and these commandments made the basis for, say, the case law. So you had somebody understand, okay, do not murder. Got it. But what happens if I am chopping a tree down? And as I fell this tree, my axe head flies off, hits a guy who's chopping another tree down in the head, and he dies. Is that murder? No, 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 that's manslaughter. And so they made all these de- 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 designations for what you can consider what. And so that was case law. And they had a whole bunch of different things. And everybody was saying, well, there's a lot of stuff I've got to remember here. I'm not quite sure what I need to do. And so Micah is working with a religious generation that is non-compliant. And he's trying to boil it down so people understand what to do best. And the reason I entitled this message Primary Deeds is because he broke it down to three things. One, laudable conduct. Two, loving kindness. And three, low living. Laudable conduct, loving kindness, and low living. And these three kind of help us understand the completeness of what God wants to do. How we can live in such a way as to be compliant with him. And if we do these things well, we can do just about everything else well. Do these three, three things well, and you will do everything else well. And I entitled it Primary Deeds because I remember when I was in the second grade, we had a, um, we had a art class. Do you still do art class for kids? And, and the first thing we learned were primary colors. Anybody remember the primary colors? Help me. Red, blue, yellow. Excellent. Primary colors, these are the colors from which all other colors come. Somebody once said, well, what about black? Well... There really is no such thing as the color black that you could see. Because if it was completely black, you could not see it. The fact that you can see black says that there is more white in it, so you can see it. What about white? Same thing. You couldn't see white because it would be so bright it would blind you. But the fact that there is just a little bit of dark in there allows you to see it. So they are true colors. Red, blue, yellow allow for all the other colors to come from, and people can then paint from them. And this is where masterpieces are born, by starting with primary colors. And if you do these three things well, if you have laudable conduct, if you live in such a way that you extend mercy regularly and you live low, you can paint the masterpiece that is your life. Whatever you want to paint, God will give you the privilege of doing it. If you do these three things, well, primary deeds. Mike is working it, and he's doing his best to help the people understand what they ought to do. And he says, do justly. Now, the word justly there is the word shafat in Hebrew. And it, um, it's a word we also use for righteousness. So basically, he's saying, do right. 
do right. It also means to make decisions well. So make good decisions. Any disobedience is always the result of a bad decision. Somebody followed the inclination of their own soul rather than following the dictates of God. Rather than looking at what God had to say in his scripture, they decided they had a better idea. And they, they, they went the wrong way. They went left when God said you should go right. And so Micah says, let's just live at a high level. Let's do right. Somebody said to me, well, but pastor, you know, doing right is hard. I mean, it's hard to live well. I can't argue with them. I mean, doing the right thing requires that you die to yourself regularly. I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. What did Jesus say? Pick up your cross and follow me if you want to be my disciple. There's nothing pleasant about the initiation into Christianity. Nothing. It's all about dying. As much as I would like to preach the idea that God wants to bless you and make you just happy and, 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 and fulfill all your desires and make your road paved with petals. That would be wonderful. It's just not true. First, he says, you got to die. And there is nothing comfortable about dying. Because the only way to fix me, Brett, the only way to fix you is to condemn the house and raise it. It cannot be refurbished. It is not a fixer-upper. You don't just add a room. You have to destroy it. Because everything you build upon a bad foundation will crumble at some point. And God says, you've got to die. So Brett, 37 years ago, died. Oh, there's some residual. People recognize me. There's still some of me that kicks around every once in a while. But there's enough of me that's gone that everybody recognizes something new on the inside and say, now listen, his name is the same, but that's not the same dude. My sister comes to church with me. She lives out here. She lives well in the valley in Southern California. And so she comes and visits me. She sits on the front row. She loves Jesus with all her heart. And when she sits on the front row, this is, she's 15 months younger than me, so we're almost like twins. When she sits on the front row, she does this. Looks at me like that the whole time. The whole time. Everybody else is laughing at my jokes. They're just enjoying the message. She's just. And then afterwards, she just comes in. Come here, Brett. Come here, Brett. Because she knew I was terrible. No, no, no. I was Charles Barkley. Terrible. She understood. And I'm not that guy anymore. I died, and I've allowed Jesus to live on the inside of me, and he has changed me from the core. It's not just behavioral modification. It is transformation on the inside, and then that allows me to be better on the outside. So you, you, you do what you can to try to live best as you can every day of your life. Make great decisions. Honor him by obedience. And yes, it's hard. It's not easy being a Christian. But please understand that there are different versions of hard. Because I decided to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior at the age of 20 and live for him with all my heart, I don't have any baby mama drama. 
when I got right with God in March of 1981, I, I got married in, in, De- in December of 1986. And when, when the preacher said, you may now kiss your bride, that was the first time I kissed a woman since I had been, since I'd been right with God. First time. I kissed a woman since I've been right with God. And that included her. Now, I know that's crazy. I get it. You think, well, what? You didn't kiss your feet? You, how long did you? A year and a half. Well, wait a minute. You didn't do it. Are you kidding me? And she's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. But I said to myself, wait, 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 wait. I'm a, I'm a minister. If, if, if I start something, I may not be able to stop. And then if I can't stop, then I got to. I might lose my job. Might lose my job and lose the credibility that I've built up so much with respect to integrity that nobody would want to listen to anything I've got to say anymore. And so I said, I need to put some boundaries someplace. I said, that's where it's going to stop. I'll hold your hand, but we ain't kissing until the preacher tells me I can. Now, I know that's difficult. I'm not saying it's a standard for anybody else, but it was mine. That was hard. But real hard is having baby mama drama. Real hard is embezzling from your company and now facing jail time. Real hard is the consequence that results from disobedience. That's hard. I don't have any of that. And it's only by the grace of God because I surrendered. It's not because Brett was so great. It's because I was so messed up. I knew I needed help beyond that which I could find on my own. I said, God, help me. I'm an idiot. I've I've proven I can mess up really good. And so I'm begging you, help me not to mess up my life anymore. I surrender to you. Empower me to live the way I should. It's hard every day. But I like my version of hard because my version of hard gets me a family like I got. My version of hard doesn't have me having to lament all the things I've done wrong for so many decades and destroying people's lives as a result. My version of hard gives me the privilege of advancing his cause and bringing a smile to his face every day. At least having the opportunity to do it. Micah says, do right. Make great decisions. Now, we, we can't make great decisions unless we know what God has to say. It'd be great if we could make great decisions just on our own. Without him having to tell us what a good decision is. But this is how far we have fallen that we don't even know what we should do to make him happy. Now, most folks aren't trying to make him happy. They're, they're just trying, if they're, it, if they're trying at all, just to, to make sure they get to heaven. Can I get my ticket stamped? God, will you make sure that I get there? They're not trying to figure out how in the world to really obey him here. They just want to make sure they're forgiven so they can get to the pearly gates. When the goal ought to be, Lord, I really want to make you happy here. And then heaven becomes a byproduct. It's not the goal. Because you want heaven to come to you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth. How? So the goal of our lives should not just be to get there. I'm I'm glad I got a reservation. But the goal of our life is to bring that here. In every area we possibly can. To experience heaven on earth. And that takes a little bit of effort. Takes some compliance. And, 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 but, but, but we, we, we are so 
Brett is so dense that I couldn't figure it out on my own. Now, let me give you a story, kind of an allegory of, of how this works, and maybe it'll hit home more. Generally speaking, if, if you're married, husbands, um, your wives just want you to figure it out. See, I got an amen on that. Now, that's good. Your wives just want you to figure it out. They don't want to tell you what you need to do to do right. Because their, their mind says this. Well, if, if I tell you to do it, then you're really not doing it from your heart. You're doing it only because I told you to do it. And then it doesn't mean as much. This isn't a marriage seminar. But let me help you, wives. We're idiots. <laughs> Do not assume that we figured it out. Don't assume that we know anything about what's right with respect to you. Now, what happens when you assume, and even though you might be mad to have to tell us what to do because it doesn't seem like it really came from us, but it came from you, but you're going to be madder if we don't do it because we didn't know. (laughs) You're going to be so mad then. It's like a two-day mad where you don't even talk to us anymore, and we don't know why you're not talking to us. (laughs) What's wrong? What did I do? I don't know. You should know. You should know. You should know. <laughs> and we're following you around the house like a little puppy. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I don't know what I did. And you're sitting there thinking, you should have known, you should have known, you should have known. Amen. <laughs> there was a... Uh, thing we, I found with a friend of mine, my associate pastor, senior associate in D.C., and it was a list on the internet of unnecessary instructions. And there's a bunch of them. It had ten. I'll, I'll give you two. <clears throat> on a Rowena iron, on the cord, there was a little tag, and on the tag it said, do not use iron with clothes on. LAUGHTER Okay, who did that? Who did that that made them write that on that little, that little, that little piece of paper on the... What, what was... They were thinking, I know I need, to, I need to multitask, and I've got a lot to do, so I'm going to eat my breakfast while I iron my clothes like this. And then somebody decided to sue the company because they, they, they got burned. And so they had to put on there, do not iron with... But, but you would think they needed to be told that. Are you kidding me? Serious. On a, on a can of Sansbury peanuts, and I, on the East Coast, Sansbury is a huge brand, it says, warning, contains nuts. <laughs> you know what happened there? Somebody was allergic to peanuts, and they began to down them. And then they tried to sue the company because there was no warning that the nuts actually were in the can. There were nuts in the can. There were nuts in the can. You didn't tell me that. That's what peanuts are. You need to be told. True stories. Sad. How about this one? Not appearing on the list of unnecessary instructions. 
about honor your mother and father? That your days may be long on the earth. How about do not steal? How about do not bear false witness against your neighbor? How about do not covet? How about do not commit, commit adultery? We have to be told. That's how messed up we are. We have to be told these things. And I love the Ten Commandments. I love anything that God says. It's so special to me and precious. I love to read my Bible every day. But that I have to be told to love them? It's an insult to my lack of spiritual fervor. I should never have to be told. But that's how messed up we are. Thus, Micah says, let me boil it down for you. Just do the right thing. You can't figure it out on your own here. Do the right thing. Make the highest level decisions you possibly can. Don't be thinking about yourself all the time. Think about other people. Love people sacrificially. Say no to sin. You know what's wrong. Ain't nobody got to tell you. What you do and what we do is we take the the, the thing we know best. When we don't have all the information we should because we don't know our Bible as well as we should. We take this, this, this understanding of right. And we don't want it to dominate our lives. And like a beach ball in a pool, we do what we can to shove it under the surface. Because it gets in the way of what we want to do. And we, we work with all of our might to try to keep it down, push it down. And as soon as we let up a little bit, it pops back up. Hey, shoot, I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. So we catch it again and try to shove it. We spend our entire lives trying to shove right down. Micah says, let it come up. Let it bubble up out of you. And just do the right thing all the time. Do the right thing all the time. Yes, it's hard. It's not easy. In fact, it is impossible unless you yield completely to Christ. Nobody can make themselves a Christian. The only way it happens is what I said in the beginning. You die and let Jesus rise up on the inside of you and make you brand new. That way, you can at least have the possibility of compliance. Other than that, there's no way you can do this on your own. Do the right thing, he says. Secondly, he says, love mercy. Now, he didn't just say be tolerant of mercy. He said, love it. Love it. Embrace it. Now, the beauty is this about the concept of mercy is that when anybody does something wrong, they want it real bad. They offend somebody. They know they've offended somebody. The person who is offended is really mad at them. They go to them and they say this, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Why? Because they have a desire to have relationship restored. I'm sorry is an understanding that you now feel remorse for what you've done. Please forgive me is an appeal for relationship to be restored. And the only way it can be restored is if the other party says, I will do so. I choose to not let this be a separator between you and me. I break it down. I destroy it. I let it go. And I allow you now to come back into my life. That's what forgiveness means. But generally, it needs to be petitioned by the person who was the offender. And so we desire mercy. And when we ask for forgiveness and somebody doesn't give it, we think we deserve it so much we go, well, forget it then. We walk away thinking, oh, I get it, it ain't going to work. I, yeah. 
We want it. And we trust that God will give it to us whenever we ask him for forgiveness because he's not withholding. He's offering freely. He's amazing. He's not like me. He's not like you. But when it comes to, to, to distributing, we're more like a reservoir than we are a river. So we like to receive the forgiveness that we need from God. But we're not really, not really keen on giving it. And anybody understand that we need forgiveness like every moment of the day? I realize you think you're a really good human being. I, I know. I get it. But the only reason you think you're good is, is that you compare yourself with the worst. So, uh, who compares himself with Mother Teresa? I mean, we all fall short, don't we? I mean, the woman gave her life for people who are lepers and, and the, 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 the lowest, lowest, low, and we're working jobs every day. We're trying to, to, to build up our 401ks. And, and, and who, who does? No, no, we compare ourselves to Hitler. <laughs> Son of Sam. All these horrible human beings, fill in the blank. And we say, well, I'm not that, so I'm a good person. So we make ourselves feel better about ourselves when we compare ourselves with the worst. But that's deceptive because you can't compare yourself with the worst to think that you're right. You're just less bad. The proper standard is Christ because he lived the life the way it should be lived. How do you measure up to that? We're all messed up. Knowing that to be true, you need mercy and so does the other person that just offended you. All of us need mercy. It doesn't mean that we somehow neglect truth or punishment if it needs to be metered out. It doesn't mean we just let anybody do whatever they want to do and then say, I forgive you anyway. No, there are boundaries, there are levels of trust that need to be rebuilt when relationship has been destroyed. But that has nothing to do with the decision to say, I'm not going to hold this against you for the rest of your days. And Jesus thought so much of this. He said, I want you to know that if you do not forgive, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, if you do not forgive, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Because it is the height of hypocrisy to receive it and not give it. Now that doesn't mean that God is up there in heaven having to make decisions every day about, okay, I won't forgive him today, I'll forgive him tomorrow, I won't forgive him. No, no. The issue is this, how do you receive that which he has already distributed to give? Because he's already decided to have mercy upon humanity. It's like you become, as soon as you choose not to give it, because it is intended to be river-like and not reservoir-like, you put a block over your own head of receiving that which God wants to give you. So important to love mercy. Love it. And it's the flip side, when you understand a little bit about who you are, really, that the only way you could do right is if God helped you to do right. You can't do it right on your own. It's his mercy that allows you the privilege of being empowered to do the right thing. As evidenced by the fact that if you have children, you'll know this. Um, do, do, do any of them ever come out of the womb needing to be taught how to be selfish? No? Well, if mankind is really good, natured, why don't they come out knowing how to share did you have to teach them uh, to, to, 
Did anybody teach their child the word mine? I didn't, but they got it somehow. You don't have to teach him to be mean. You don't have to teach him to hit. You don't have to teach him to be covetous. But you do have to teach him to love. You do have to teach him to be kind. You do have to teach him to share. Why? Because the, the nature of humans has been left when they come out of the womb. Because we are all children of Adam and Eve. And the only way to get us to be right is if God strengthens us to do right. Seeing that to be the case, the only way we can do right is by his grace. And so if I do right and they don't do right, I can't judge them by saying, how come you don't do right? I don't get it. I can do right. Well, you can only do right if God helps you to do right. And so you need to have mercy on the person who can't do right lest you become self-righteous. And begin to think somehow that you are actually a better version of humanity than them. And they can't get it right because something's deeply wrong with them that's different than wrong with you. And the reality is this. All of us think our dirt is cleaner than everybody else's dirt. You go into somebody's house who's invited you to dinner. You got a couple of dogs. Maybe a cat. Dog hair on the couch. The cat is allowed to walk on the kitchen counter. The dishes in the sink. And you're thinking, hmm. I think I'll take bottled water, thank you. And you endure the night, but you're praying the entire time. Lord, don't let me get sick. Lord, don't let me get sick. Lord, don't let me get sick. Oh, we're gonna. But you go home and you have a dog and you got dishes in the sink and you're eating just fine. That's the way we think about our lives. Mine's different than yours. And we need to posture ourselves differently and no longer think that somehow we are the best version of right we know. And be merciful to others. Merciful. Love mercy. Lastly, he says you better live low. Walk humbly with your God. Live in a way that helps you understand exactly whom God has made you to be. You don't live any lower. You don't live any higher. You don't live always self-deprecating trying to figure out how you can just beat yourself into, and flagellate yourself into a place where you feel better about doing right now. Now you are qualified to be able to obey God because you recognize how messed up you are. And you can only get as low as you possibly can groveling before God can use you. That's not the best approach to serving God. Nor is it a good approach to begin to say, well, I am God's gift to creation, I am. And there's no question that he would use. Why wouldn't he use me? I'm me. Pride. Whether it's thinking less of yourself than you should or thinking more of yourself than you should. What you need to do is read your Bible every day so you can think exactly how God thinks about you. And let his words begin to define your life. Live low like that rather than you becoming the definer of your own life or letting somebody else's words. Because your, your idea about who you are and who you want to be Let me help you this morning. It's either inaccurate in that it's too low or it's all wrong. God is a wonderful dream destroyer. And I say that without qualification because your thoughts are not his. And he he does it kind of like this. I had a list of qualifications about who I wanted to marry. They had to be such and such. 
And this was when I was 19. So it's a stupid list. But they had to be this way and this way. They had to have this, 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 this. And I met my wife to be. And after a few weeks, I realized she hadn't met any of these qualifications. (laughs) She exceeded all of them. God crushed my dreams to give me better ones. He is a dream crusher, but it's only because he's got something better for you. But you have to humble yourself and say, my idea about how I want to go and what I want to do and who I want to be, I don't think it fits with the Bible. I don't think it fits with God's plan, his purpose for my life. So, Lord, I'm going to humble myself and allow your word to define me and your purpose is to become mine and my desires to become yours. You know the passage over in Psalm 37 verse 4? says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, we've superimposed a lot of stuff over that. If I delight myself in God, he's going to make me happy. I mean, all my dreams will come true. That's not what that means. That means this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires you should desire. He'll help you restrain your soul so that you will want only what he wants. And when you do that, this is where Jesus said, ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you in John 15. Anything in my name. Operative term, in my name. It doesn't mean that you can pray whatever prayer you want and slap the name of Jesus on the end of the prayer. (laughs) What it means is that you now must pray under the authority of his will that is represented by that name. And if it's under the authority of his will, it already is that which he wants to give you. So when you pray it, all you're doing is agreeing with what he desires to give you anyway. He gives you the desires of your heart. But you have to humble yourself and say, ah, my ideas aren't best. My ideas may not be even good. I choose to submit myself to your will rather than mine. Have your way in my life, oh Lord. Do what you want to do, even if it means I don't get what I want to get. And I can't tell you how happy I've lived long enough in him, in God, to be happy about him not answering my prayers. Pastor Darren, do you know what I'm talking about? Lord, do this for me, I prayed 15 years ago. And I was mad when he didn't do it. And then 10 years later, I'm saying, thank you, Lord, for not doing that for me. We bought I, I, 25 years. I'll close with this. 25 years. I helped start the church. I found, helped found the church, and I now am pastoring. So I've been in the same church for 36 years. 1982 is when it was founded. And I became senior pastor when I found it. When I helped found it, I was only 21. I became senior pastor at 30. And it was a mess. I, to be senior pastor of this people was nothing to write home about. 53 people that were all mad at one another and me. It was not a good situation. But, but I took it. And, and it took us 25 years from the time that we were conceived as a congregation to the time we got our first building. 25 years. And that's not without looking. We met in 33 different locations. I don't know how in the world we were able to survive. It's, it's mind-boggling to me, the mercy of God, that allowed us to exist. 25 years, 33 different locations. During that time, I was looking for property. And in fact, I bought some because I was so pressed to try to be a good shepherd to my people, thinking that only a good pastor really knows how to find property. I had a bunch of peers who were uh, pastoring after I became pastor. And they had property. I had none. And I felt like a failure. I said, God, please.
please give me property. So I went out and bought some because it was a need. And then three years later, we had to resell it because we grew beyond the property. And I begged him and I said, Lord, this is terrible. I'm not a good pastor. Why don't you help me? Well, we moved into a neighborhood. And this, this place had a water park and my kids wanted to go swim. So we went swimming in the water park. And, and they sent out a circular that said you get $349 membership fee for an entire summer. I had seven kids. It was $16 a pop. I thought, wow, that's a lot of money to spend for go to a water park all the time. If I get this, this membership thing, I can go ahead and, and have a great summer and go as often as I want. So I got it. And I went. And, and all of us made up like half the people were at the water park. <laughs> I'm not kidding. There was nobody else there but us. I thought, boy, these people can't be making any money. I had my realtor go and talk to the owner. He said, would you like to sell? He said, yes. It turns out that it's on one of the most major thoroughfares in all of my area. 95,000 cars pass by there. And it's the only property on this major thoroughfare that is grandfathered with a sign. We bought the water park. We gutted it three or four years later, made it into a church property, and then gutted it again and made it to a bigger church property. I am so happy God didn't give me any other place but here. And I have business people coming to me regularly saying, we'll, we'll pay, pay you double for it. You got it. And ain't no way. This is not only valuable, but it's a memorial. I am so glad God saved me for this and didn't answer all my other prayers for other property. This is amazing. Now, I'm closing. Three things. Laudable conduct. Loving kindness, love mercy, and low living. When you get these three things together, have at it when it comes to painting the masterpiece that is your life. Those primary colors, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Nobody like you. You're amazing. You are amazing to us. Have your way with this people and help us to live according to your word. Is there anybody this morning who has yet to give their heart to Christ? Or maybe you've made a decision in the past, but you realize (laughs) my life is a mess now and nothing of it looks like a Christian. If you fit in either of those categories, raise your hand high. I want to give you an opportunity to love them again. Come home. I see that hand. Bless you. Once it's up, you can put it down. Anybody else? I see that hand. Bless you. Once it's up, you can put it down. All right, you who raised your hands, pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I've lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. You're great, church. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only He can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.